Well, good morning, church family. You guys look all well-rested today. I mean, see, you're not going to need to get that extra hour of sleep during the service today, so that's, that's a huge win. Uh, well, good morning, everybody. My name is Pastor Scott Luck. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, if you're a guest, we're glad that you're here. We hope you feel right at home. Turn uh, in a Bible to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, there are uh, pew Bibles in the seats around you, so you can grab uh, one of those. So we are starting a new series today called Counterculture, and here is why. There's just a lot of anger in the world today. Have you, have you noticed all the anger in the world today? Um, uh, people are just angry. Uh, people are angry at how the pandemic is being handled with lockdowns and mandates and you know, mask mandates and vax, uh, vaccine mandates. And then, and then you have uh, people that are mad at the people who are mad at how the pandemic is being uh, handled. So there's that. And then, there's, then there are a lot of people today uh, angry at the direction that the country's going just politically and culturally. So um, there, there's a, just kind of an assault on traditional values. Uh, there's just kind of government overreach in certain areas. Uh, there is the government kind of enforcing... Um, you know, social justice on society. There's this hasty withdrawal from Afghanistan that happened over the summer, and then, and then the border crisis occurring uh, on the southern border. So there's just a lot of people uh, angry about all of that. And then uh, there are a lot of people angry at what's going on in the economy right now. So you have the unemployment situation in the United States today, where many workers are simply choosing uh, not to work and uh, so just kind of live off the government. And then there's the supply chain crisis uh, that uh, we all have heard about and that makes, you know, just getting basic things, building materials and everyday items harder to acquire. And then there's the reality of inflation with just everything, the price of everything is going up. And so, so there's that. And then a year and a half ago, there was a lot of anger uh, that many Americans had over really just the death of George Floyd and uh, the death of other black Americans at the hands of law enforcement. And so this anger bubbled over into demonstrations and protests and really the destruction of property uh, in cities all over the United States, including in, right here in Indianapolis. And so, uh, so there's just a lot of anger there. And then uh, there were those that were watching it all on TV that were angry at the destruction of the property and and the riots and the protests. And so I could just go on and on and on with these things. You, you've, you've been there, you've lived it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so there's just a lot of anger in the world today. And the, I think the concerning thing about the anger is that it's just, we're just getting acclimated to it. You know, we're just getting more and more used to it. Like it's just becoming a normal part of life. And uh, what I wanna say to us is it's not normal. It's not normal for Christians. It's certainly not normal for the church, the body of Christ. It's not who we are as the body of Christ. It's not who God called us to be as the body of Christ. You see, God has called us to be a counter culture to that. That God has called us to live out and reflect certain kingdom values that reflect his heart and his purposes. The truth is this, we are citizens of heaven. We are ambassadors for Christ. That's who we are. First and foremost, everything else is underneath that. 
We are children of the king. We're called to be a light in the world. We uh, are not called to be a mirror in the, of the world. And I think for too long, the church has been a mirror of the world, looking just like everybody else and talking just like everybody else and acting just like everybody else. Everybody else that doesn't know and walk with God. I think for too long, we've been that. And I think in these, cult, in, in these days, in this cultural moment, that we find ourselves in, it is really easy for us to forget that God has rescued us, that God has saved us, that God has forgiven us, that God has changed us, that he has moved us out of darkness and into his wonderful light, that he has set us free from anger and hatred and, you know, the mob mentality, right? He's, he is, he's redeemed us from all of that. And so, and so as Christians, we are called to live out this new humanity that we have in Christ in the context of a brand new community. That's who we're called to be. That's how we're to live. And so that means very practically that we're really called to be a community that's marked by love. We're called to be a community that's marked by dependence on God. We're called to be a community that's that lives by the truth that God has given to us, that he has revealed to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it's not this kind of thing where, you know, you do your truth and I'll do my truth and we'll all do our truth. No, truth is objective. It is real, it's been revealed, and it can be known. And the truth is a person, the person of Jesus Christ. We're also called to be a community marked by compassion and mercy, you know, in the lives of people that, that we interact with in the, in the name of Christ. And so, so this is really who God's called us to be. It's not, it's not anything complicated. You know what I mean? It's, it's not rocket science. It's just, it's, just, it's just God's will for the people of God. So what we're going to do in this series is we're really going to zero in. And these three Sundays, we're really going to focus in being a people who love, being a people who live by the truth and people who live on mission. And so that's what we're gonna be focused on in this, in this series as God um, has called us to, to really be different, to live differently in the world as a counterculture. Now today, I want us to kind of focus in on John 13 because in John 13, Jesus lays out a new commandment. So he is getting ready He's preparing the disciples for, for really the crucible of his death and the pain of his departure. He's trying to get them ready. And, uh, and so what is it that they need to hear? You know, how does he need to prepare them? And this is how that question gets answered. So we're going to read John 13, verses 31 through 35. And I'm going to ask if you're willing and able, would you stand just out of reverence that God has revealed his word to us so beautifully? And so John records this. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, and you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say also to you, Where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, 
you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is, this is God's word for God's people. You may be seated. So Jesus is really near the end of his life. This is the night before that he would be crucified. He is trying to prepare his disciples. He's not going to waste his words uh, in any way. Uh, but he is, he is really just laying it down. He is calling them to be, to be different from the world. He's calling them to be a counterculture. And the, the number one mark of that counterculture that he wants to create is, is the mark of love. And that's what I want us to really kind of focus on today. So I think in this passage, there are really three truths that I want us to see just right from the words of Jesus. We're going to see here the command to love first and foremost the commandment that he gives us to love. And then secondly, the model for love. So he never calls us to do something without showing us how to do it. So we're gonna look at the model for love. And then lastly, we're gonna talk a little bit about the effect of love, the, the impact that love has. And so let's look at this first one, a command to love. Look with me at verse 34, at what he says. He says, a new command I give to you that you love one another. He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, just a little side note. Isn't it fascinating to me that that command is so simple, a child can understand that. And yet it's so profound, every adult knows we don't always live up to that. Isn't that fascinating how the word of God just applies and challenges every person regardless of where where they are in their, in their faith journey. And so that just shows you just the wisdom of God's word. But here's the question I had. How is this, in verse 34, how is this a new command? Like in what sense is he talking about this is a new command? I mean, it can't be in terms of that it's never been said before. I mean, we know that's not true, right? Leviticus 19, we see the command given to us, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, so it's not that it's not been said before. This command has been around for centuries and for centuries. And so certainly, certainly the disciples heard about it since they were uh, young boys growing up in, in school and learning, you know, learning uh, the Old Testament. So, so why does Jesus call this a new commandment? I think there are a couple of thoughts on this. First, first and foremost, I think the, the particular emphasis here that he, is, that he is really giving to us is, is really on on us loving each other, especially as it relates to the community of believers. I think it's a new command because it emphasizes that we here love each other because we are the community of believers. He is trying to impress upon the disciples the importance of this as he's getting ready to leave them. And basically he makes the case, you guys are going to need each other. You need to rely on each other. You need to love each other. And he's trying to prepare them for his, his departure and then the confusion that's going to ensue just from his crucifixion and death. And so, and so I think he's trying to emphasize we need to love each other, that that is the mark of a counterculture, that we, that we exude this characteristic of love. Now, Jesus is not saying we love each other exclusively. I think he's saying that we love each other particularly, especially. That that's how it's going to be in the kingdom of God. You see, Paul says it like this. He says this in the New Testament. I want you to show love to all people, especially the household of faith, the household of God. So I think that's 
kind of the new emphasis that he is bringing to this. And that's part of why he says this new commandment. But there's a second reason uh, that this is a new commandment. I think what he's saying here is this. He's, he's not saying, I want you to love each other in some general vague way. I don't think that's his point. I think what he's trying to say is, I want you to love each other in a very specific way. I want you to love each other as I have loved you. You see, Jesus has loved these disciples for three years. He has poured himself into these guys. He's poured himself, he has poured himself into their families, into these guys for three years. He's loved them consistently, faithfully, practically, tangibly, in every possible way. And he is getting ready to show the full extent of his love. He is getting ready to demonstrate it completely in a way that they, they don't even expect. And so, and so when Jesus says, I want you to love one another, he's saying to them, I want you to follow my lead on this. I want you to follow what I'm about to do. And uh, now he's not saying, he's not telling them, you know, love each other. And I want you to feel these vague, positive feelings for one another. That, that's not what he's talking about. He, he's not talking about vague, positive vibes. You know what I mean? He's He's not talking about, you know, I want you to have warm fuzzies for the people outside of this room, you know, for the world. That, that's not what he's saying. I think, I think really what he's saying is this. I, I want you all to demonstrate a radical, self-giving kind of love. That's the love that I want you to live by every single day. Just a, a radical, self-giving action on behalf of people just, just as I have done for you. That's what I want you to do. Now, this is where we start to run into the problem. This is, this is where we get really challenged on this because so many times our emotions get in the way of our loving. You guys know what I'm saying by that? Like our feelings oftentimes hinder our, our loving and expressing that love for other people. Maybe you've seen somebody on Facebook or social media post something or maybe you have a difficult next door neighbor Maybe a family member, a relationship is really, really strained. And so what you say is, I just don't like this person. They just absolutely rub me the wrong way, and I just can't help how I feel. Now, have you ever, you ever said that? You ever felt that? You ever thought that? Yeah, certainly all of us have. Now, here's the thing that we need to see. That is a lie from the enemy. And what the enemy wants to do is steal, kill, and destroy and in particular, what he wants to do is destroy our witness to the world. So he's constantly, he's constantly working to that end, particularly in, in and through our feelings, how we feel about other people. And so Jesus doesn't command us here in John 13. He's not commanding us to feel love for one another. He's just simply commanding us to love one another. And, and they're both very, very different. You know, C.S. Lewis is helpful here with this in his book, Mere Christianity. Let me show you what he says. He says, he says don't, don't waste time bothering whether, whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the greatest secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. Now, that is a very, very insightful point. What he's basically saying is this. If you wait to start loving someone until the feeling of love comes over you, then you may never even get started. You may never even begin the journey. 
But he says the opposite is true. If you'll just start choosing love, then your feelings will catch up with you. In other words, if you do what's right, you'll feel right. If you, choose, if you choose love, the feeling of love will arrive right behind you. This is especially true in marriage. I think a lot of us have had the experience of having friends or family member come up to us and, and talk about their, their marital struggles. And they'll say things like, well, you know, I just, I just don't love him anymore. Or we've, we've just lost that love and feeling. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just no longer there. And, and uh, you know, we've all heard this. And I would guarantee you 100% of the time that wherever somebody is saying that, they have stopped the action of love long before that feeling disappeared. They've just stopped loving in action. And so if you find yourself struggling to love your spouse and feeling those loving feelings, just start doing. You should try it and see, see the change. I think for I think for a lot of us, you know, we, we love people that we like. And so we think, well, you know, I'm a good person because I love all the people that I like. And, and what we see from Scripture is that that's not exactly impressive in God's eyes. You, you know what I'm saying? Like loving people that you like. You don't need to be born again to love people that you like. Even the world can do that. You don't need the Holy Spirit. And so what makes Christians different, what makes us unique What makes us distinctive is that God has called us to love the very people that we don't like. Let me show you what C.S. Lewis says about this. Again, he's very helpful about this. He says, the worldly man treats people, treats certain people kindly or he loves people because he likes them. The Christian trying to treat everyone kindly finds himself liking more and more people as he goes on including people he could not have even imagined himself liking at the very beginning. Now, that's a very interesting kind of statement. And, and basically what he's saying is it's the normal practice in the world to love the people that, that they like. That's normal. Everybody does that. But the Christian way is loving everybody in the world and in the process of loving everybody, we find that we're liking more and more people as we do it. Isn't that interesting? Now, let's just get real. Let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer it. You don't have to raise your hand or anything like this. All right, but I just want to ask you, over the past year and a half to two years with all that we've been through as a culture, let me just ask you, is the, is the number of people that you like in life, is it growing or is it shrinking? What do you think? Think about that. If you're like me, can I be honest? It's shrinking. It's shrinking. Not because people are more selfish or more sinful People have always been broken and fallen and sinful and selfish. The reason why is because I've stopped doing the actions of love in situations. And uh, it's easy just to start thinking, man, they're really terrible. I mean, they have this certain perspective or they watch this certain cable news network, you know. I mean, they just, you know, they just have a certain viewpoint. And so it's just very tempting to kind of pull back. And maybe that's the reason why the number of people that we actually like is decreasing instead of increasing. But see, I think what Jesus wants for his church, what he wants for us, 
is he wants us to just simply love, regardless of perspectives or actions or whatever. And so he wants love to mark the family of God. And that is what he wants. That is what is a counterculture. That's the way he has called us to be. So, so that's the command to love. But what about a model for love? Let's go back and look at verse 34 because he gives us a model for love. Look at what he says. So a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. You especially love one another, he says. But do it in a way just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another, he says. Now, what's fascinating about this is Jesus, if, if you read before verse 31, you read earlier in the chapter, he, he has already done something very countercultural. Because what he has done is he's with the disciples and he takes off his outer garment, he grabs a towel, he wraps the towel around his waist, he makes his way around the room and he starts washing the feet of his disciples, which is absolutely unthinkable, church, Un, unthinkable that he would do this. This is, this is not the task for someone of Jesus' stature. This is for a lowly servant. This is for a bond servant, right? This is, this is what a bond servant does. And I guarantee you, the eyes of the disciples had to be wide-eyed, like, what are you doing? Lord, teacher, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? This is, this is crazy. Let, let the servant do this. But what was Jesus doing? He was establishing a new culture, wasn't he? He was, he was really establishing something new by the washing of the feet of his disciples. And even in particular, washing the one who would betray him. He's washing the feet of, of even Judas, who's going to betray him just you know, minutes after all of this went down. And so it's just a stunning picture of, of love and action. That's exactly what it is. And then Jesus follows it up with verse 14. Let me just show it to you. If, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. In other words, I've given you a model, he says, that you should do just as I have, have done for you. So what Jesus is saying is, look, this new community that I'm establish, establishing right now, the church, the body of Christ, the family of God, the new community. I want humble service to characterize it. I want humble service to flow out of this love, this sacrificial love. And uh, I think that's exactly what he's trying to build and what he is trying to establish. Now, um, in other words, I think what this kind of means practically is that we love each other so much as the body of Christ, that there is nothing that we would not do. There is nothing that is too lowly or too difficult that we would not do for one another because of our love for each other. I think that's what he's saying. And I think that's what he's symbolizing in the washing of the feet of the disciples. Now, obviously, the washing of the feet of the, of the disciples is pointing to the ultimate washing that he's going to do. Right? I mean, he's not just washing the feet of the disciples for the sake of just getting the dirt and the grime and the manure off their feet that they've been kind of walking in all day long. He's going to cleanse them of something more vile and dirtier than we could even imagine. He's going to cleanse them of sin is what he's going to do. And that's ultimately what this washing of the feet of the disciples 
is going to do. And what he says here is this, as I have done for you, I want you to do for one another. You see, in other words, Jesus washing the feet of the disciples really points all the way to the cross, doesn't it? Points all the way to the cross. Because you see, it's the cross gives us not only just the way of salvation, but it gives us the way of community. Like the cross not only brings us to heaven and heaven into us, but what the cross does is it brings, it's, it's the highway of love that we, that we love one another with. It's, the, it's really the pathway of community. Because what happens when we come to the cross is we realize, we realize the incredible price that Jesus paid for our salvation. Like we realize how broken and how corrupted our nature is that Jesus would have to die in our place, that God would have to give up what was most precious to him and to reconcile us to God and to justify us to himself. And we begin to process that and realize, wow, I'm a broken person. I'm corrupted to the core and this is what God did for me. This is how God loved me. And you begin to realize that in the midst of our selfishness and our rebellion and our dysfunction and our doubt, God loved us first. And then you start looking at other people and you think, man, you know, they're broken and they're dysfunctional too. And God loves them as well. And if he loves them, then I can love them because we're all broken, sinful, and dysfunctional. You guys track what I mean? I mean, the cross just levels the ground completely. And, and so practically what this means is I'm so twisted and messed up, I, I can't look down on anybody else. We're all in this together. And I think that's exactly what should happen when you understand, when you, you really take in the message of the cross. When you experience the grace of God, that's the impact that it has on us. You just can't look down on anyone. You know, even if they watch that other network, you know what I mean? Like, you just can't. And if Jesus would do this, if he would do this for us, then um, what is too hard or too low for us to do for one another? Is there anything? Would you be willing, you know, to give up wine for the sake of a brother or sister in Christ? For some reason, it caused them to stumble in some way. Would you be willing to give that up? Paul would certainly say, you know what? That's right in line with the gospel. Would you be willing to give up meat if it caused someone else to stumble in some way? Is it kind of just tripped them up in their, in their walk with God? Well, you know, the apostle Paul would say, you know what? That pretty much lines up with the gospel that we would be willing to go to that level because we as a church care about each other. We love each other that much. Let me give you some more practical applications. Let me show you some scriptures that I think kind of will help us do this. Uh, let, me, let me show you Romans 14, 9, just as a practical application. So then let us pursue and what, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So what he's saying is when you want a community love each other, when we, when we choose to love one another, we are pursuing peace all the time. And, and I, like, I like that because what that means is, you know, we live in a society that is easily offended. You know, I mean, like everybody's like overly sensitive and easily offended. And, and so it's not, what that is, it's just self-absorption. It's just self-focus. 
And so what Paul is saying to the Christians in Rome, I want you to be focused on pursuing peace. I want you to be focused on working for, cultivating, maintaining, and protecting unity, protecting peace in relationships. And you do it through mutual upbuilding, not down-tearing, upbuilding. And so all of us have strengths and weaknesses. All of us have failures and victories and, you know, virtues and vices. We all have that, but we don't focus on the negative because we know that the work that God started in us, he's going to carry it on to completion. That's his business. We just see good things, godly things in other people, and we, we call that out. We speak that. That's called mutual upbuilding. So that's what loving each other kind of looks like. Look at Galatians 6 2. Paul says this, bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, in a room this size, there are a lot of burdens in this room. Do you know every single one of us are carrying a burden? Every one of us right now. If I gave you a sheet of paper and said, you know, write down your burden, every single person would have something to write with and, you know, they would come forward and kind of you know, lay it down before God's feet. We all have burdens. And so, so really community, love in the community means we're aware of that even when we don't know the burden specifically and we are seeking to help carry the burden together because we're better together. And, uh, and so I think that's what love means. And so it could be, I don't know what your burden is. It could be financial, it could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be relational. I mean, it could be any number of things. It could be sin, grief, wayward children. It could be any number of things. And so the body of Christ just says, you know what, we're all in this together. We're just going to help each other through this. And really, that's what church is supposed to be. That's, that's the body of Christ. Look at Ephesians 4, 25. Let me give you another one. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And so we need to tell the truth to each other. And I think a lot of times in our church especially, we don't always want to speak the truth. You know, we've been offended by someone. And so it just, we maintain the offense, but we're not willing to speak the truth. We're not willing to go to the person and deal with it. And so we just kind of sit on it. And what it does is it sours in us instead of just dealing with it by speaking the truth in love to our neighbor and you know, getting reconciled, getting, getting restored in that relationship, whatever it is. It's just a lot easier for us to kind of bury it, but really just carry it with us everywhere we go, and then it affects that relationship negatively. Paul says, speak the truth in love. Go to your neighbor if you've got, got something, and church, you're gonna get something. I mean, it, it's just life. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect small group. There's no perfect Bible study. It's not, you can't find it on the face of the earth. And so a lot of people, what they do is they get offended and they just bounce from church to church to church because they never learn how to deal with an offense. So they just bounce everywhere. They never learn to love, which is what God is trying to really get us ready for. And uh, heaven, learning how to love. So look at Ephesians 4.29. I'm just trying to be real practical here, okay? So let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building others up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So you can speak words that corrupt others or you can speak words that build others up. 
And so what marks the community of faith, what marks the community of God, is that we're, we're speaking in ways to build one another up. We're encouraging one another. It's, life is hard. We, we speak life to one another. And uh, we just live that out. This is just Christianity 101. It, that's all it is. It's, uh, it's not advanced Christianity at all. It's the kind of love. Let me show you, let me show you one more. 1 John 3, 17 and 18. But if anyone has the world's good and world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet he closes his heart against them. That's a great phrase. It's a great understanding of what happens. He closes his heart against that brother. How does God's love abide in him? So little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's love with action, he says. Let us do for one another. And so in loving each other, we love God. And I think that's the way that God is calling us to be in this moment for such a time as this. I mean, God has us alive in the cultural moment that we live in. And so we can complain about it or we can be a community that loves in the middle of it. Can you imagine being a church where you love coming? And you love coming because you love seeing the people that are here. You even love seeing the people that, that you don't even know that are here. Um, because you know God's moving in their life. I mean, imagine being a church where after the service, we just kind of linger together. Now, COVID's kind of killed all of that. We're hopefully rebuilding it. But we're the kind of church that just lingers together and we share stories from the week and we share praises and we pray together. We encourage one another. We get to know those that are new. You know, we, 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 just, we just do that. We're just that kind of church. We just love each other. I mean, imagine being a church where, where we leave this place and we're thinking about each other and we're praying for each other all throughout the week. Imagine being a church where you come midweek and you come to a Bible study or, you know, your discipleship group, your D group, or uh, you come to a class or, you know, something. And, I mean, you're just, your eyes are just peeled for someone in need. And you're just ready to meet that need. I think that's counterculture. I think that's the kind of love that God wants us to have. I mean, can you imagine being a church where we notice volunteers you know we go in our children's ministry pick up our kids and we just thank them we thank the volunteers there for pouring into our kids and loving our kids pouring Jesus into them we just thank them or student ministry or wherever we see a volunteer we're just grateful for them can you imagine where a church that we are a church where two people are in conflict and instead of those two people gossiping to 12 other people about the conflict with the person they just follow Matthew 18 they just go straight to the person and they just work it out, and they forgive and forget and move on and love one another. I, I think God really wants us to be that church. You guys tracking with me? Can I get an amen to that? And so, and so it just takes work. It just takes the grace of God. That's, that's, that's really what it takes. And so, so that's the model of love. I think that's a part of what Jesus is talking about. Now, let me share, let me share the last one with you. It's this, the effect of love. You see this in verse 35. So, so when we love each other, we practice this kind of love for one another every day. Uh, it has an impact. It has an effect. And notice the effect that it has. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what he's talking about is this. The world is going to notice this loving going on even when you don't notice it. 
like we're in the arena and the world is in the stands and they're watching the game. They're watching the contest and they're seeing all this love break out. And, and so the world's all around us. They're observing, they're watching, they're noticing. And the thing that Jesus says they're going to take away from it is they're gonna know you're my disciples because you guys love each other. You love each other. And uh, that's a huge, that is a huge effect when you think about it. Like, like we're witnessing to an unbelieving world and we're not even saying a word. And uh, it's powerful. It's a powerful sermon. I love D.L. Moody, what he says about this. He says, he says, show me a church where there is love and I'll show you a church that is a power in the community. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't say, show me a church that has a sports program and I will show you a church that, you know, is a power. That's not what he's saying. Um, you know, he, he's, he's not he's saying love. Love is what brings the force in the community. And so, and I, I really believe, church, this is true of us. But I also believe we need to grow and mature in it. I believe we, we have some areas where we really need to grow in this. And, and I think God wants us to work on those areas and, and really to ask him for help as, uh, as a community of faith. I, there's a story that uh, D.L. Moody shares about this, this boy that grows up in this small town. And, and so every church he goes to this Sunday school class and uh, he walks to it by himself. His family doesn't really go. And so, so he goes to it and, and then his parents move farther away from that church across town. And so this boy has to make the decision do I change churches or I just keep going? And so he makes the decision. He's going to walk to this church. He's got to walk a long way every Sunday. And, and, uh, and so one of his friends says, hey, you know, why are you walking so far to church? I mean, you pass a dozen churches on the way. Uh, why, why don't you just go to a church closer, closer to home? And, and the boy looked at him and said, well, I, I'm sure they're really good churches. Uh, he said, but, uh, but there's this, this church I really like. And uh, and he said, well, what do you like about this church? And, and the boy said, well, you know, at, at this church, they really know how to love a fella. They really know how to love a fella. And I thought, man, that church through its love is a force in that boy's heart. And I think that's the force that God wants here. I think that's what we want the community saying about us. Man, that, that church stows, they just really know how to love a fella. Like and it doesn't matter like who they are or what they did. It doesn't matter how much money they make or their education level. It doesn't matter where they came from. None of that matters. They just know how to love a fella. They just know how to love a fella. And I think that is exactly what God is, wants us to be and to do is just to live out love every single day. And so the church that doesn't love is not a church. I mean, have you ever thought about that? And there are all kinds of churches. And not every church loves. But a church that doesn't love is, is just not really a church. I, I heard about this guy that, you know, he needed to get some dry cleaning done. He waited to the last minute and he found a, he found a cleaners that had a sign in the window that said, one hour dry cleaning. So he took his suit over there and dropped it off. And he said, now I'll be back in an hour to pick this up. And the lady looked at him and said, back in an hour? This thing won't be ready till next Thursday. And he's like, well, the sign in the window says one hour dry cleaning. She said, we don't follow that. We don't do that here. 
I mean, that's so dumb. I mean, we just have the sign in the window, but we really don't, we really don't dry clean in one hour. And he's like, are you kidding me? Are you crazy? Can you imagine us saying as people out in the community, well, we're a church, but we really don't love people. We don't take that serious. And uh, that's not a church. Some, some churches do that. Some churches say it and they don't live it. And so I just, I just want us to be a church that loves. I want us to be known and for love. You walk in the door and you're loved. And it doesn't mean, it's not a personality type. Because we have introverts and extroverts. I'm not talking about that. Love overcomes personality types. It has nothing to do with being outgoing. It just, it just has everything to do with being others-centered and others-focused. Does that make sense? So you can love in an introverted way and an extroverted way. It doesn't really matter. God has called us to love. And the truth is, as a church over the years, we haven't done this perfectly. I have failed at it personally. I have. Some occasions we failed at it collectively, but, but there's even good news in the midst of our failures. There's grace, right? There's grace, there's forgiveness for our failings, and then there's grace so that we can repent and learn from our failings. Isn't that great news? And that's how it works in the Christian life. But the key to it is the cross. That's the key. The key is going back to we do this, we love because Jesus first loved us. And that's your marching orders today. That's who we're called to be. So church, let's do it. All right, let's do it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we just want to be different. Not for the sake of being different, but because you loved us in a completely different way than we've ever been loved before. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would grow our love for each other as, the, as a community of believers, that you would grow our love for the surrounding world, the community around us. And I pray that, Lord, even today, we'd be more apt to just linger, more apt to connect, empowered to, to encourage just emboldened to pray. I pray that we wouldn't love in some vague, warm, fuzzy kind of way, but we would just, just love practically, just love tangibly, just love genuinely, that's it. And so God, I, I pray that that would happen, not for, for our glory so that we can pat ourselves on the back, but so that the world would know that we are your disciples, that we follow you. And so do that work in us, cultivate it in us. Help us where we're weak. Help us not to focus on our feelings, but to focus on the truth. God, help us to love each other. We thank you and praise you and all of God's people said.